Good morning. Good morning. This is yours? All right, I'm going to put it here, okay? All right. All right, all right. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Turn to a mom and say, you look beautiful today. Amen. Here's the quote. Here's the quote for this morning. Come on, lean in. Lean in. Tell everybody, callate. It's time for the word. Father, we just thank you, God, for the beautiful moments that we've had already. We thank you for your beautiful presence in this place, God. We thank you for all that you've already done and for what you are even now working in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's the quote. Not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. Come on, that was much better than your response. I don't, I don't know. If you're new to us in the last couple of weeks, um, well, welcome, first of all, welcome. We, we took a couple of months, basically from the start of the year all the way into Easter, and we did what we're now calling God Season 1. And what we did was we went through the entire Old Testament. We were looking and we followed God's people through the entire Old Testament and watched as how, and, and we saw how the sin and rebellion of man met the love, mercy, and grace of God. Amen? We saw how every time man turned, God turned. Every time man turns away, God turns to him. Every time man turns away, God turns to him. Amen? And it was a, in, in, in God's season one, we saw that God is creative. We saw that God is just. We saw that God is merciful, that he's gracious without measure, that he's true to his word, that he's slow to anger. We, we learned that God hates anything that separates us from him. We learned that God would do anything to have you and I reconcile to him. Amen? The cross is a picture of the extreme measures that God would go through to have us right with him. And so what I'd like to start the journey today through the New Testament, God, season two. God, season two. Season 2. Are you ready to get into the New Testament? Amen? Because listen, ultimately our view of God determines our expectations of God. We usually don't see God how he is. We see him how we are. And so, okay, so the New Testament, God season one, the New Testament starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And the four Gospels give us the good news that the Old Testament had promised and prophesied would come. And so now, while they contain some of the same stories, ultimately, the same message, the good news of the Gospel, that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again, amen? And that if we believe, we'll have life, and life eternal, and, and joy, and joy eternal, amen? 
So while, while they're, they're, they have the same story, some of them, and ultimately the same message, they're written differently. And that's because they're written to different audiences. The Gospel of Mark was written to the Romans. And so they, they knew nothing about Scripture. They were leaders, and, and, they were, and they were all about leadership. So leadership and action impressed them. So Mark is the shortest Gospel. No fluff, no detail, just action. The Gospel of Luke was written, the Gospel of Luke was a Greek writing to Greeks, to Gentiles. And the Greeks loved culture and, and beauty and ideas. And so Luke was the result of investigations and inquiries. Luke is the longest Gospel. It fills his book with insights and interviews and songs and details that, 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 are, that are fascinating for people that are searching and seeking. The Gospel of John. John wrote to everyone. John's Gospel is more inclusive. He wrote to everyone because everyone needs to meet God and the only Jesus can reveal him, right? And so in this book, we, we meet an ultimately powerful God in human flesh who controls and rules the universe that he created. The, the Gospel of John is, starts so powerful. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then we hear the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, amen? And so the, the best known verse comes from the Gospel of John. God so what? God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. And so then that leaves us the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is the first Gospel in the line. And it was written for people familiar with the Old Testament. The Gospel of Matthew was written mostly for Jewish believers. And so the Jews would only listen to one of their own. And so Matthew writes to show them how this Jesus is the promised Messiah. But this gospel starts very differently than all the other gospels. Matthew, probably because he's speaking to Jewish believers, he starts the gospel with a lineage. He wants to trace Jesus all the way back to Abraham and show that he's from the line of David. To prove so the Jews could see how Jesus was the Messiah and how he fulfilled every prophecy written about him in the Old Testament. So Matthew refers to the Old Testament over 70 times, more, more than any of the other Gospels. And so what I want to focus on today is the lineage right at the start of Matthew. And I think you're going to find something fascinating in there. It starts this way, Matthew 1. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham... Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of... The, this is the stuff you normally skip when you read, right? <laughs> Who's guilty? All right. And you're being honest. That's awesome. But when you skip it, you miss the power. He says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And there's 16 verses of genealogy, and it ends with, of whom Jesus was born, who is the Christ. Here's what's interesting about this genealogy. Matthew includes five women. Nowhere else. Understand, and in this culture, women had no place. Women were not counted. Even in, in, in the stories that we read where, we, where, where it says that Jesus fed the 5,000. What does it say? If you look at every one of those stories in every one of the Gospels, it says, and 5,000 men were fed along with women and children. What does that say? The culture says that men are counted, women are not counted. 
If you read the other, the other lineage, it says 4,000. When he fed the 4,000, it said, and 4,000 men were served, not including women and children. Not including women and children, right? So the culture says that we don't include women, do not count. Matthew includes five women in the lineage of Jesus. He goes against what's culturally acceptable. He flips the expectations and he lifts the limits that the culture puts on us. So what I want to get into today is who are these women and why are they mentioned? Are you interested? We propose to you today that the reason that the... God bless you. The Lord be with you. We propose to you today that the reason these women were mentioned in this lineage is because of you and I. And we'll warn you that some of these stories are pretty scandalous. And God... So you might have to cover your kids' ears. God chooses to honor them with a place and to mention them, to show them and to tell us that no matter who you are, no matter what your story is, you belong. The first woman included in this lineage. Do you need a microphone? (laughs) Good morning. The first woman included in this lineage is Tamar. Now, Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, also known as Israel. Now, she was married to Ur. But because he was doing evil in the sight of God, he dies, leaving her with no children. There's a law that reco- that co- that's called Jibam that requires the next son in line to provide an offspring for that older brother. So, Jacob gives him Onan. Now, Onan did not follow through on what he was supposed to do, and he dies. So, now Jacob is freaking out. He's believing that this woman is the one responsible for killing his sons. So, he, he's required to give her his next son, Shelah. He's not of marital age right now. So, she, he tells her, he tells her, go back home to Cana, be with your father. And when Shelah is of marital age, I will give him to you. So she goes trusting him and believing him. Well, the Bible tells us that time has passed. Jacob's own wife dies. There's been a mourning period. He's completed the mourning period. So now Shelah is of marital age. But Jacob has had no intention of giving his son to Tamar. He goes to Canaan and People start to tell Tamar, hey, your father's there. Your father-in-law is there. Your father-in-law is there. And she's realizing, well, he's not coming to see me. Why is he there? She comes up with this plan. Now, understand, she's committed to this third son. So she doesn't have an option to marry someone else and start a new family. And the only security that a woman had at that time was to be married and to have children. She was stuck. She wasn't going to be able to do that. She was committed to Shelah, but Jake wasn't giving her, giving her him. So what was she going to do? Well, she devises this scheme, this idea. She dresses up as a prostitute. And, and that time, it's understood that prostitutes covered their faces. So Jacob comes. 
sees her. Obviously, her face is covered because if it wasn't covered, he would have recognized her. It says he knew her and she conceived that day. He promises to give her a goat, but she says, okay, let me get your seal, your cord, and your staff as as security, just in case he doesn't give me the goat. He gives her the items. Now, understand, these items are like a driver's license and your credit card. How many of us would give up our driver's license and credit card? No, right? Well, he gave it up. Time passes, three months. There's gossip going around now. Jacob, your daughter-in-law is pregnant. She slept with somebody, and he's all up a rage. He's totally upset, mortified. And in that custom, he has the right to have her killed. So he says, bring her to me, and I'll have her burned. She's going to be burned, burned alive. Well, what does Tamar do? She sends the items she had of him and said, the man that I am pregnant by, these items belong to him. Now Jacob instantly realizes he's the one, right? He's the one that did it. Now he could have he could have done something like denied it, right? And still had her burnt because she's a woman. Who was gonna believe her? But he fessed up and he realized where he was wrong and he did what he had to do. Now after that he didn't know her, and she was the mother of Perez, who later on had who would be in the lineage of Jesus. But not only did she have one child, God gave her two twins. And I tell you today, when God does something for you, when God does something for us, he validates it. He shows off, and he makes sure that those around us see. Now, Tamar could have been stuck, right? She could have been stuck. She could have been um, stuck in a situation where then she she would be in a situation where she wouldn't be able to have any children. And then she would have no security. But she took action. And I'm asking you today, how many of us have had prophetic words and we're waiting? Or how many of us, or the words just in the Bible where God gives us promises and promises and promises, and he's telling us how much he loves us and how much he wants to use us and how we're, we're, we're going to do even more than he, he can or he's done. But just like Tamar, we need to take action. We need to move forward. Granted, her move was radical for her time. But it was just one step. It was one little step. She could have been killed. She, he, Jacob could have denied it. But she took that one step of faith. And God met her, and God supplied for her, and he gave her a double portion. He didn't give her just one. He gave her two. And then her child would be the one that would be the li- in the lineage of Jesus. So I propose to you today, God is telling you, you belong. You belong. It doesn't matter the circumstances that you find yourself in today, or if you're struggling with believing the word of God Take action and understand that you belong. Amen. Amen. The second woman. The second woman that shows up in the lineage is Rahab. Now Rahab 
isn't some innocent woman pretending to be a prostitute. Rahab is a harlot. She is a prostitute. Not only is she a prostitute, but she owns a house of prostitution. Scandal. So, but despite her occupation, when we read about her, she seems like a woman with kindness in her. And, and, and she provides financially for her parents and her siblings. How many of you know people that are, that are not Christians, but they act more like Christians than, than Christians do? Come on. So Rahab the harlot, here's what happened. What happened is, is this. When, when Joshua was about to attack Jericho, he sends in two spies. And so these two spies come into Jericho and they check into Rahab's house of prostitution. Because where else would two strange men hide in a city and not be noticed? In, in a whorehouse. Amen? I'm not encouraging that. I'm just telling you the story. So, so they, they go in and so now the people are already scared. The people of Jericho have already heard. The enemies of God have already heard what God is doing. That God is moving in. That this land belongs to God's people. That he's going to give it to them. That he's going to wipe out his enemies. So they're already nervous. They're already strange. Where these two men check in and, and hide somebody. Rat, how you know there's always a rat in the group? Somebody rats out Rahab. They go right to the king, right to King Jericho, and they tell King Jericho, there's two spies hiding in Rahab's house of ill repute. And so the king hears, and, and, and the king comes to, to Rahab's house looking for the two spies. She hides them on the roof. She takes the two men of God, and she hides them on the roof, and she covers them in, in you know, in the in a roof stuff. And, and so he, he she, they... You know, whatever. They're hidden, okay? And so she says, I, he, the, the king, this is the king of Jericho, comes to, to Rahab the harlot and says, where are they? I heard there's two men here. And she goes, yeah, it's true. They were here. You know, I mean, they did what they're going to do, whatever, whatever. But they, are, they were here, but they left. They're gone. And she says, if you go that way, surely you'll catch up to them. Go that way. So then she goes up and she talks to the two spies and she tells them how she, she knows and she believes. Listen, this is where you see the heart now of Rahab. She knows and believes that God is with them and that God has given them this land. Her confession of faith is found in Joshua 2.11. She says, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So she makes a declaration. I believe in your God. Your God is God. And so she says, um, now, understand, she could have found favor. She could have just told the king, yeah, these guys are on the roof. And she would have gotten a lot of favor with the king. She would have been in good standing. They would have been killed. But no, she hides them. And then and it, it, lo- it appears that Rahab wants a way out of the life she's living. She's heard the stories of how the Israelites come out of Egypt and how the Red Sea dried up and allowed them to pass through. She's heard these miracles and she, she believes that their God is the true God. And so she asks them, she tells the two guys, listen, before I let you leave, I've been kind to you. Will you be kind to me? Will you take care of me and my family and my family's family, my father, my brothers and, and their families? Would you, would you do that? And so they, they, um, um, they, the spies give her a scarlet cord and they tell her, listen, that window that you're, you're going to let us out of the window, you told them to go that way, we're going to go this way. But that window that you let us out, tie this scarlet cord on this window and then, and, and then when we come back and we, and we take 
Jericho, when we see that, that place, we'll know that anybody in there, make sure your family's in there. If they're hanging out, they're dead. See, sometimes you got to be in the right place at the right time. Amen? So he, she says, if the, he says, if they're in there, they're safe, and I give you my word with my life that they'll be safe and we'll rescue them. They'll be spared. And so it happens that way. Rahab and her family were saved during the complete defeat of Jericho by Joshua's army. Later, Rahab gets taken in and absorbed into these people, and she marries a man named Salmon, a Jew whom Jewish tradition, the word doesn't tell us this, but Jewish tradition says he was one of the spies that she hid. And she marries him. They have a son, and their son is Boaz. Who grows up to be a righteous and godly man. You can read that story in the book of Ruth. And so her, her faith is even mentioned in Hebrews 11 with, with like the, the hall of fame of faith with, with Abraham and Noah and Moses. It says, and Rahab the harlot's faith. Sometimes our label stays with us. <laughs> but God sees it differently. Amen. The world might see your label, but God sees you differently. Okay. That's a separate message. So God includes Rahab in this lineage perhaps to show us that even though you might have a history for doing the wrong things or making bad decisions or living a lifestyle that wasn't pleasing to God or honoring God, when you decide to honor God, God will make a way for you. Amen? Amen? And God will bring you from the darkest past to give you the brightest future you could ever ask for. The third woman. The third woman is Ruth. Now Ruth has her own book in the Old Testament. And it says that there was a family. There was Naomi and her husband. And they were traveling to Moab because there was a famine in their land in Benjamin. And it says when they traveled there, they stayed there and they settled there. But sometime after, the father dies. They had two sons. Their sons marry Moabite women. Sometime after, the sons die. So Naomi hears that back in her town that the famine had ended, and she's deciding, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to my hometown. What do I have here? I have nothing. I'll go back and see if I have family that will help me. Well, her daughter-in-laws are distressed, and they're they're telling her, we'll go with you, we'll go with you, we'll go with you. And she's like, but why would you go with me? What do I have to offer you? I don't have anything to offer you. It's not like I could get married again. It's not like I could have children, and then you wait for these children to grow up so that you can marry. I have nothing to offer you. How can I take care of you? What can I do for you? They continue to argue, but one of them relents, and she goes, Orpah. But Ruth says, no. She goes, I will go with you. And there's a famous quote that they, we hear all the time at weddings, and it goes like this, Ruth 1.16. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be your, my people. Your God will be my God. Do you ever feel like your life would have been different if you would have had a, a different family? Or do you ever feel like you didn't have the advantages that other families or other people have? Well, imagine, Ruth is a Moabite person, enemies of God. She finally gets in this connection, right? And now this connection is severed. Her husband's dead. But she decides to go with Naomi. Now, from the outside, looking in, we know that she made the right choice. But in making that choice, was there this instant understanding that I'm going to have security? I'm going to have prestige? 
I'm even going to have a family. She's going with the understanding that I have no idea what my life is going to be like once I get there. No idea if she'll ever get married again. No idea if she'll ever have children. And remember, these are the things that validate women in this time. Being married, having children. But she moves forward, right? She's going to an unknown country, to an unknown people, trusting God and trusting that God's people are going to help provide. Ruth encountered a situation where she's taking care of Naomi now, right? In a land where we said that women aren't valued. Well, it says in the word that she ends up gleaning. And gleaning is a process in which the harvesters are coming to pick up the grain, but they're supposed to leave some behind so the people like widows can have some kind of survival income, right? Something to cook, bread or whatever they're going to cook, so they can eat. How interesting is that God orchestrated it so that she would be gleaning in Boaz's field. And from the word, we understand that Boaz was a kinsman to Naomi. Now, Boaz represented God's peace, God's promise, and his faithfulness. And just like we learned from the other two women, God doesn't just provide the basics. He gives us more. He doubles our portion. He does the miraculous. Boaz marries Ruth. They have a son. Their son is called Obed, who then has a son who's called Jesse, who then has a son and is called King David. Amen. Now, because Ruth made a decision to follow Jesus, no matter what, God included her in the lineage. She made that confession, right? My people will be your people. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. We have to understand that she's coming from a pagan society where she doesn't understand this, but she's moving in faith. This is her declaration. That one small thing is known throughout history. That one verse is known throughout history, and it made such an impact that it would usher in our Jesus, our salvation. Now, God included her even though she was a Moabite, even though she was a foreigner, even though they were en- her people were enemies of God's people. And God is telling you, no matter where you come from, no matter what family you think you were raised in, no matter what circumstances you have been through or what struggles you have gone through or what loss you have gone through, that you belong. Your story matters. Yes. Amen. 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 That was the third woman, right? The fourth woman in Matthew's lineage is not included by name. All it says is the wife of Uriah. We know if you read your word, the wife of Uriah is Bathsheba. What is this woman doing mentioned here in the lineage of God's people? If you don't know the story, Bathsheba is the one who was naked bathing on the roof one day and David who who shouldn't have been there he should have been out to war so he was already in the wrong place at the wrong time but David sees her from the rooftops naked bathing and he says wow 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 bring and so he sends someone to go get her and bring her to him 
Understand something. David is the king. When the king wants something, that something has to want him back. The word doesn't tell us this, but Bathsheba really couldn't refuse what the king wanted. So you understand? So a lot of people tend to believe this wasn't more like, uh, like a lot of people attach shame to Bathsheba's name, but it really should be on David because it's more like a rape than it was anything different. He brought her over, right? And so she really couldn't refuse. And so he brings her to, the, to his palace, bada bing, bada boom, she's pregnant. That was fast. And then, but then there's a problem. She has a husband. Her husband is one of David's soldiers. He's out fighting, uh, fighting for him. So David starts concocting all these, let me bring him back, hopefully, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't. So eventually, you know, if you know the story, he has the guy killed. He has her husband killed. And we know that she loves her husband because in the word it tells us she mourns him. And so as a consequence of this adulterous union, David's sin, even though David prays and repents, that baby dies. So why would God have this woman mentioned in the lineage of the Messiah knowing (coughs) that every time her name is mentioned, people would remember David's sin? What we learn from this sordid affair is that God can transform situations and even what came from bad beginnings, God can use for His glory. Somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody needs to hear that. Even what started wrong, God can use to bring newness and to bring hope. Even what began wrong, God can use. Come on. So eventually, by God's mercy, David, rep- David repents and, and David takes her as a legitimate wife. And while David has other wives, her son Solomon becomes heir to the throne. And the next king who will actually build the temple of the Lord and is known you know, for, for his wisdom. And through him, the Messiah continues, the, li- the lineage of the Messiah. Perhaps God includes Bathsheba... To show us, to show you and me that despite those situations in your life that you might not have had any choice over. Am I talking to anybody? Those events that could have destroyed you. You might feel like your story disqualifies you, but God says even to you today, even with your past, even with the story of shame that you might be carrying, you belong. Okay, so the last woman in this mentioned in Matthew's lineage is Mary. And we all know who Mary is, right? She's the mother of the promised Messiah, Jesus. Now, young people, don't tune out. You need to listen to this because this does pertain to you. From what we understand, Mary was about 13 to 16 years old when God came to her and when he sent his angel to her. Most people say she was probably about 14, okay, when he asked her to carry the son and bring forth God's son. Now, Mary doesn't have crazy stories like the other four women, right? The word actually says that God had found her highly favored. But she was just a child. As a teenager, what, do we, what did we worry about? Or what do you guys worry about? You worry about getting into the right high schools or doing well in school or fitting in. 
or, or um, just do, making new friends. Yet God was asking Mary, a young girl, to not fit in. She could have been stoned to death for being pregnant outside of marriage. Nowadays, you get a reality show, you're making money. But back then, it was death. But she walked in obedience. And she, her confession of faith reads like this. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And she walked in obedience to God. And because of this, God's promise <clears throat> was fulfilled through her. And today we have that salvation and that communion with God. So what did she do? She simply said yes to God. Was it easy? You ever felt like you, you try to do something and it doesn't work out? You're trying to do the right thing and it doesn't work out? But all Mary had to do was say yes and believe and trust that God was going to see her through. She had to deal with possible ridicule, talk, being talked about, killed. Her life, being pregnant, she had to escape where she lived to go to another place where they told her she had no room. So she didn't have an easy journey in saying yes to God. I know a lot of times we, we think, if I say yes to God, my life is going to be perfect. He's going to work everything out. And he does work it out, but it's never the way we see or want it to be worked out. It's not an easy path, but it is the right path. And it is the path that keeps us connected to the one that made us and created us and loves us. So perhaps God included Mary in this lineage to show us that despite your age, young people, older people, but young people, despite your age, God wants to use you and provide miracles through you. Now, God is calling you, young people. Are you willing? God is calling you. Are you willing? It doesn't matter how old you are. God can use you. You don't have to wait to, or believe that once I'm older, God will use me. Or I want to live now, and then later I'll get my life straight. God wants to use you today where you are. Do you realize that you have influence yes. over people and young people that we won't have influence over? Yes. You're a God sighting to those who don't know Jesus. Amen. Ask God. Amen. Seek him. I propose to you today that God says you belong. Yes. Now, yes. not later, your story belongs. Amen. 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 What I love here is this. These ladies with all of their baggage, with all of their issues, with all of their mixed backgrounds and shady stories, they're listed in Matthew's genealogy as Jesus' moms. While you and I can't choose our moms, Jesus could have, and Jesus did, and I think in choosing them, he says to us today, Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day. Later in, in Matthew 12, 
It says that while Jesus was still still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. And so someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. (laughs) And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples and to his followers, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and my brother and my sister. Worship team, you guys could come up. See, God could have chosen to come from any set of people that he wanted to come from. He could have arranged it any way that he chose to have to have any people. He could have set this up his own. He, he can do that, amen? He's God. You and I couldn't choose our parents, but he could have set this up. And instead, he, he chooses this fiery, I'm convinced Tamar was Puerto Rican, a Puerto Rican woman who t- pretends to be a prostitute to get what's rightly hers. He chooses an ex-prostitute who decides to turn her life around and join the family of God. He chooses a Moabite woman who chooses to follow God, even though she's from the enemies of God. He chooses a married woman who's taken advantage of and loses her husband. And he chooses a teenager who boldly accepts the challenge of bringing Jesus forth in her world. God shows us that Jesus came to include sinners in the family of God. (laughs) Somebody say amen. Come on. And so the genealogy concludes five women included... Mostly poor, mostly misfits, widows, unimportant, unknown, sinful women who changed the course of history by their simple, obedient lives. They were ordinary women just trying to get through life. In other words, they were people just like us. Men, don't tune out because they were people just like us. Ordinary, tarnished by sin, (laughs) unlikely to shape the course of history. Has anybody ever said that about yourself? There's nothing I'm going to do that'll change history. And they're in the Savior's genealogy to give us hope and to foreshadow the kind of people that Jesus the Messiah came to save. God is saying to us today, I included them to include you. You belong. I included them to include you. Like Ruth, when we choose God, we become a part of the family. And we take our place and we belong. All these women we mentioned, there was an action that had to take place. God sets up the rest. Some of you might be waiting for promises to come forth in your life. In Christ, he offers to give our simple lives significance. These stories are all about grace. In reading about them, there's an invitation to say, your story matters. That those parts of us that we want to hide maybe should be remembered And should be told, like even happened here this this morning. Shame stories can stay shame stories if they're in the dark. 
But when they're brought into the light, they can be grace stories. So can we just all stand? Today you may feel like one of these stories represents you, whether you're a man or a woman. This this um, sermon today was about five amazing women who just took simple steps. But this sto- their stories, you may be able to identify whether you're a man or a woman, a young person. So if you are saying today, God, I don't know you, but I want to know you, then just open up your heart to him. Amen. If you're saying today, God, God, I believe I had promises and I've been waiting, but I need to take action. I want you guys to start coming up to the front. If you need prayer, if you want someone to believe with you, if you've gone through these hard seasons in your life and you want someone just to stand with you, believing that in it all, as we make that confession, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, that God is going to do the miraculous. It's not going to be just the basics. God doesn't just apply the basics. He does miracles. And each in one of our lives. And it doesn't matter who we came, what family we came from, where we are in our lives right now. God is calling us to belong. So please, if you want prayer today, come. Come to the front. Jesus, Jesus. Worship team. I mean, prayer team, if you can come up, please. Thank you. Jesus, come to the front. Come to the front. You belong today. You belong. Your story matters in this history. Your story matters. God sees you. And he's not surprised or ashamed by you today. He tells you he loves you. He died for you. He needs you. Jesus.
for the moments when I'm still in your presence and no one knows that's down Lord speak to me now you have won my intention I will linger and listen I can't miss a thing cause Lord I know my Make this your prayer. 
standing in this room today and you've heard this message and you understand that your bad beginning can be a great story of God's goodness, his grace and his love and redemption so I want you guys to sing this with me I want you to look deep into your heart And I want you to just take stock of where you are and where you've come from. And look at where you are today. And this is no coincidence. And if you're prepared to let God in, if you're prepared to let Jesus take control, just sing this with me. Just say, I open up my heart to you. I open up my heart to you now to do what only you can do Jesus have your way come on just say I open up my heart to you oh Lord I open up my heart What only you can do Jesus have your way Come on, shout it out, say I open up my heart to you I open up my heart to you now So do
Thank you, Jesus. We glorify you, Father. You are worthy, worthy in this place. Worthy in this place you are. You are worthy, you are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy, Lord. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your love and your grace. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you know each and every one of our stories, oh God. Father, you know our past, oh God. You even know our present and our future. And you still allow us to be part. You still make a way for us, oh God. You still make room for us, Lord. So, Father, I ask, Father, for those that are here, Lord, maybe it's the first time, Lord, pray, Lord, that they, that, that, that something may have stirred up in their spirit, oh God. Father, that they may have heard something, Lord, that, 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 that drew them to you, Lord, that they opened up their eyes to see that your love is pure, oh God. And your arms and your heart is open, Lord. So, Father, we open up our hearts to you this morning. We surrender, Lord, today, Lord. Have your way in and through us, oh God. We desire to be more like you, oh God. That's what we're running for. And we're running to you, Lord. So, Father, I pray over every person in this room, Lord. Father, that today would be, Father, the beginning of their best days, oh God. Here. Father, I thank you for the mothers that are here, Lord. I pray over them, oh God. I pray peace, Lord, that this day, Father, would just, Father, remind, remind them of your love and your kindness, oh God. Father, that they would move through this and as they lay their heads tonight, Father, you would encourage them, oh God. Whatever the situation is, Lord, you would encourage them and let them know that you are still in control, oh God. Father, we celebrate our mothers, oh God, because without our mothers... It would be none of us, Lord. So happy Mother's Day. You are blessed. So be a blessing. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.